Good morning. It's good to see you this morning, and I hope you got a bulletin as you were coming in. As you're making your way in, we do have some announcements here in just a moment. But let me begin as we prepare our hearts again. I, we have a silent meditation, we call those. I should probably call those uh, preparatory readings, but they help prepare our hearts. So listen to this, if I can just take a moment as we prepare our hearts. It's taken from Lancelot Andrews devotions. It says, O God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, visit us in thy goodness. Forgive us every sin, whether willingly or unwillingly committed. Deliver us from eternal punishment and from all the miseries of this world. Change our thoughts into piety. Sanctify our spirit, soul, and body. And give us grace to worship and to please you in humbleness and holiness of life even unto the very end of our days. Amen. And so that's our prayer this morning, that you too will be able to worship him in humbleness and holiness. So stand with me as I call us to worship. If you'll take your hymn book and turn to hymn number 100 is where we'll have our opening hymn. But let me call us from the book of Revelation chapter 19. Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Let's do that singing together. Holy, holy, holy. Seated. And again, we have several announcements that are there in your bulletin this morning. But let me begin by saying welcome. If you're here visiting for the first time with us at Grace, we'd love to have a record of your visit. And there's a, a welcome card there for guests. So you can fill that out. But on the back side is also a prayer card. So even if you're not a guest and you do have a prayer request, please fill that out. If it's not too personal, put it in the offering plate when it comes by or place it on the cabinet in the foyer. But if it is personal, you're still welcome to hand it to me or Nick or any of the elders uh, that you know. And they will be sure to give that to us and we'll keep that confidential until you tell us you want it to be made known. Again, we don't print them in the bulletin unless you tell us to do that. Otherwise, we just pray for them individually and in prayer time as we go through the prayer list. I use the directory to do that in my own personal time. If you don't have the directory on your phone uh, or on your computer, I'm sure you could do that. But on your phone, the app, we have a directory. And some people were asking about that. It is true. You can just get it, download it, put it on your phone. And that way, if you're out visiting or calling someone or even want to go uh, visit them, it actually has addresses and things that you can just plug right in and it shows you where to go. So it's a great way also to cheat on the mornings when you can look up faces if you're not sure what name you can just pull it right out of your pocket and just go like this and we know what you're doing but uh, we want you to be a part of the family so please uh, let us know how we can help and minister to you as well um, there are some announcements there let me just take a moment though I'll let you read through those our meetings are going on starting next week we'd love to meet I was going to do it tonight I'm not sure if we have time but starting next week I'll get with Nick and on Sunday afternoons late late afternoons, we are ready to start meeting and putting together our ministry teams. So we're going to be asking those of you who are interested in serving on the missions team. If you're interested at all in missions, whether it's MTW, North American Mission Boards, helping our missionaries that we support, helping do mission endeavors here that come up during the year, projects. If you're interested in missions, those are the things that we're doing that are actually things that we don't look forward to growing our church. Missions in our mind, we call them partnership ministries, or we're partnering with whatever is necessary to just further the gospel and minister. 
but Nick will also be meeting with him as he's part of our associate now and doing outreach. He'll be meeting with what's called the friendship teams. Those are the outreach and evangelism. And those are the ministries that are more focused on the actual sharing evangelism, presenting the truth, inviting people in, getting them assimilated. So that's why those are different. Some people ask, well, what's the big difference? One is more missions where we're partnering with people around the world to help the, the kingdom spread. The other is actual personal involvement locally to be able to bring people to the message of Jesus Christ and to share. So please look for those starting next Sunday. You'll, they'll be out in the blast. And then the next week, we'll be working with stewardship if you're interested or in fellowship. But we're going to slowly start putting together the ministries that we've been wa wanting to do for two years. And so we need you to pray about your gifts, where you want to serve. Uh, I may spend some time on Sunday again filling out where it is and where our church is so that you'll know where to serve. So please pray about that um, so that we can go forward. And I say this gently because we have another budget coming forth. The Lord has blessed us tremendously. Uh, we've paid off hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt for the last couple years. We're down to a point where the session's been praying about what to do, whether we can pay this off and just be done with it and move forward and expand or what's the next best thing. Um, but we also need to take care of our ministries. But the last couple years, it's been pretty much me and Nick and a few others and, and Mike Moriarty and Lisa and figuring out how much money can go where and what we need to get through. And that's not fair to the ministries. We can only do so much. And so we want the ministries up and running so you can present to the session and to the finance team what is it that you need in order to make it through a year of ministry so that we can continue to grow the kingdom of God. And so we want you to be the groundwork your ministry team's doing the work. We don't want it to be a top-down structure. We don't want the elders and the deacons to do everything and tell you what to do. We want you to be a part of ministry teams and then just tell us how we can help you. How can we serve you? How can we help lead these and help your ministries go well? So please be in prayer about your gifts and how you can serve in these next couple months as we begin to meet regularly, just trying to get them started, and then you can go forward from there. The other thing I want to share is so that everybody will be on the same page. If you're new to our church in the last several months, you know that the session has been praying about things, our, our websites, our, our name. Uh, Nick has some t-shirts out in the foyer. They're just samples. Years ago, we had a t-shirt that you could buy when we did a celebration of, was it 25 years or 20 years? Uh, now we have some new shirts out there as Nick leads us in our evangelism and outreach efforts. This is not a fundraiser. We are raising no money. Uh, anything that's left over from the shirts, I'll take home and go out to eat with. And it's, it's not for you to raise funds on. No, the truth is, it is only the cost of the shirts. They're out there. They have the motto of the PCA on the back of them. So if you understand what it is, I have some older shirts that people have come to me at, at the fairs in the county as I'm out at amusement parks. And they'll tap me on the shoulder and say, man, I love that shirt. Where did you get that? And it just simply says the motto of the PCA on the back. And if you don't know what that is, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to let you get a shirt so that you'll know what it is. But what I really want to tell you is this, and sorry to take the time. We've been in prayer about Grace EP Church. We are not changing our name officially. Um, we're doing logo stuff because, as many of you know, since this church started, there is now an entire denomination called the EP Church. So the EPC is an egalitarian denomination that has many differences than we do in what we believe should take place in worship. 
And many times we've had people come here thinking we were an EPC church. Um, and they recognize immediately when we don't have a woman pastor or women elders that something is different. And so we have been praying about it in the new motto that we're using, and Christy probably has answered the phone. We're not changing our official name, but you'll probably see things that say Grace Prez. So now when Nick did the youth, it's now called the Grace Prez Youth. When you hear us answer, it's Grace Prez. It's just the shortened from Grace EP, because when you put EP with church, everybody thinks we're what? An EP church. And so I've even had people come and ask if they could take a car ride with me to the general convention in Atlanta, which has nothing to do with the PCA. So they wanted a free ride to the EPC uh, General Assembly. Um, but that's the point. So please don't think when you see the church that everything's going crazy. We're not trying to disestablish. But over the years, less and less is going out with an EP name and is taking something that's either PCA, Presbyterian. And for us, it was just as easy and convenient to say, hey, welcome to Grace Prez. Come and see us at Grace Prez. Join us here at Grace Prez. But we still have our official name on everything out front. So please know that when you see the shirts. Um, and then the other thing I want to mention is our Sunday school classes. I'm taking some time this morning because we've started the new church year going. All of our teachers are going forward. And we've taken the preschool class and turned it into a class. So we don't want parents to be shocked. If you have someone who's a baby, a one, one and a half, all the toys have disappeared. Not in the nursery upstairs, the toddler room, but downstairs. It is now a preschool room. It is now a teaching room. So if you have children that are in the preschool age, three or four, or two and a half and can handle it, please take your children down there. But it is no longer kind of a nursery area just for kids to get in and go play. That's upstairs. And parents, if you need to take your children to the upstairs room back here, there is a TV. You can fellowship together. And we'll pray that if there's any of you that would like to help with a toddler class, which is more oriented for little ones, then that's fine. But right now we don't have that. So if you're praying about somewhere to serve in Sunday school and you like to work with the little toddlers, that would be a place that we need uh, you to pray about. But please help us because it's very frustrating in now what we're calling our preschool class to have kids that aren't potty trained or need help or need a parent. Now you as a parent can go in there with them and help and be there, um, but, but I know the strokas and Karina and all them are doing what they can now to actually do a two-year curriculum program to teach those children through an understanding of God and his relationship in the church for the next two years. So it's a wonderful program we're doing for those kids. So all that um, before you this morning, I appreciate your patience as we're moving into the fall and getting things going again. We'll have these meetings up and coming. But thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your help as we move forward. And uh, we'll be sure to keep you informed as we make progress. But, but let's take a moment and go to the Lord in prayer and ask that we can just bathe all this before him, that sometimes we can get so caught up in doing ministry that we ourselves are left out of the worship and the personal relationship as well. And so, though we want to do this to expand the kingdom, we don't want to interfere with our own personal relationship with the king. And that's what matters most. And so let's pray. Uh, and then in just a moment, you join me in the Lord's Prayer. It's inside your hymn book if you need it. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for all your blessings. That here this morning, we could come and gather together to worship in humbleness 
and holiness. That, Lord, we would realize it is only because of your Son, Jesus Christ. It is through him and him alone that our sins have been forgiven. As we learn the importance of our high priest, as we study together our need for someone who would pay the price for our sins, be our sacrifice, atone for us so that we could have peace. Lord, all that comes together in what you gave us and prepared for us in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we do pray that you'll forgive us of our sins, all the times that we've fallen and failed. And Lord, let us know that we stand righteous before you, not because of our own works, but we've been dressed in the righteousness of your son. Lord, we thank you for that. And we come boldly together as a family, praying together as you taught us, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And before we pray together, I just want to say, if you ever think to yourself, man, I wish I knew how to share the gospel, if you sang just now, you just shared the gospel. And I don't know about you, but Christian songs, hymns, remind me of what I believe, and you can sing them and think about them. But sometimes evangelism isn't as complicated as we make it. It takes courage, it takes prayer and dependence upon the Lord, but I want to say to you, you know more than you think. So let's continue to share the gospel as we, as we hear and participate this morning. So let's pray together this prayer that's printed for us in the bulletin. O oh Lord, all that we are is laid bare before you. What could be hidden within us, even if we were unwilling to confess it to you? We would be hiding you from ourselves, not ourselves from you. And we make our confession not in words and sounds made by the tongue alone, but with the voice of our soul and in our thoughts which cry aloud to you. When we are evil, making confession to you is simply to be displeased with ourselves. When we are good, making confession to you is simply to make no claim on our own behalf. For without you, O Lord, we can do nothing. So we make confession to you of our many sins of thought, word, and deed. We love you, and so we are ashamed of ourselves and cast ourselves aside and, once again, choose you and your will. Forgive us and help us to seek no pleasure for ourselves. Help us to seek that which is a pleasure for you. In Jesus' name, amen. And as we come to Jesus with a sincere heart, in sincere repentance, looking and casting ourselves upon Jesus, receive this promise from 1 Samuel 12. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid, you have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. 
So we have the courage to follow once again because he makes these great and precious promises to us. So receive them by faith. Let's confess our faith together now through the words of the larger catechism. I will read the question, and then let's all respond together. How does Christ execute the office of a prophet? Christ executeth the office of a prophet in his revealing to the church in all ages by his spirit and word in diverse ways of administration the whole will of God in all things concerning their edification and salvation. How doth Christ execute the office of a priest? Christ executed the office of a priest in his once offering himself a sacrifice without spot to God to be a reconciliation for the sins of his people and in making continual intercession for them. How doth Christ execute the office of a king? Christ executed the office of a king in calling out of the world a people to himself and giving them officers, laws, and censures by which he visibly governs them in bestowing saving grace upon his elect, rewarding their obedience, and correcting them for their sins, preserving and supporting them under all their temptations and sufferings, restraining and overcoming all their enemies, and powerfully ordering all things for his own glory and their good, and also in taking vengeance on the rest who know not God and obey not the gospel. As we prepare to give our tithes and our offerings this morning, I invite those who will be uh, collecting those for us. And please now join me in prayer. Lord, we come to you giving thanks, most of all for our salvation in Jesus, which is perfect because he is perfect for us and, and what he did and who he is. Lord, we give now not because we have enough and that we have some left over, but Lord, in our hearts, may we give to you first because we trust you and that we want to be on board with your mission and your will and your kingdom come. And Lord, may that even change the way that we live as we give to you first and as we do this in an act of worship. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. What a blessing to know that all we need is to have Jesus Christ. As we are learning about the priesthood through the book of Hebrews, uh, this morning we are challenged with a text that many of you have probably read through, overlooked, spent some time on, figured it out, let it go, and who knows where it all ended up. Melchizedek is one of our typologies of Jesus Christ. Now, do not mix up this morning something that's very important as I share with you. This is not an allegory. Melchizedek is a true figure. He was a true king of a true city and really existed. There are those that want to say because of a few verses, which I think you will understand this morning, is necessarily to point to Jesus Christ, that maybe he was just there as a theophany or a Christophany for a moment in time in order to accomplish what was necessary and then move on. And that is not true. I don't think the Bible teaches that. I think the Bible teaches that he was truly the king of Salem. He was appointed by God in a time in which the Canaanites were falling apart. The picture that God always leaves a few, a remnant to uphold the truths. We'll also learn later on that if it weren't for Melchizedek, we wouldn't understand how the priesthood of Jesus Christ supersedes that of Aaron and the Levites. As you know today, the biggest stumbling block for Jews is not just saying that Jesus is a Messiah, but it's saying they don't understand how he could be a priest if he doesn't come from the tribe of what? Or who? Levi. And we all have to succumb to the truth and say, you're right. He does not come from that tribe. And he doesn't just become a superior priest because God said he's better than Aaron, but he has to fulfill the promises as we find in Scripture. Melchizedek, an entire chapter that the writer of Hebrews wants the people to know who are struggling with going back to the old system, to the old system under the law, to the old system under the Levitical priesthood, to the old system of daily sacrifice, to the old system of being uncleaned and consciences not cleared, to the old way of life where you could feel good yourself of accomplishing the tasks set before you, the writer of Hebrews says, let's not go back. I want you to understand the importance and the superiority of Christ and his priesthood. So chapter 7, I won't take the whole chapter, we'll break it up. And this morning, I'll try to take you on a journey of understanding the importance of this Melchizedekan priesthood. Beginning in chapter 7, he leaves off in the last verse from chapter 6 when he said, we had this forerunner, Jesus Christ, who was there for us, on behalf of us. What he has done is forever for us. And he says this, verse 1, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. That was back in Genesis chapter 14, if you want to write that down, if you don't have that. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation of his name, which is king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. 
See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descendant from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. I want to stop right there for a moment and just briefly say before I give you the outline that if you don't understand why he uses the word patriarch there is he brings in the covenantal understanding of headship and covering in which Abraham, as actions have in the past that take place with the patriarchs, are handed down to the ancestry of those after them. So, for example, we understand headship that when Adam sinned, we all what? Sinned. To understand the use of patriarch there is to simply say that Levi had to recognize that Abraham, his patriarch, paid tithes to Melchizedek, which means he himself is paying tithes to Melchizedek because he is in the blessing of the covenant headship in which one represents all. Now, you may not understand the importance of that, but listen to how the writer of Hebrews brings together this man, Melchizedek. Please. Don't try to make him anything less than what he truly stands for. Without Melchizedek and the brief mentioning of him in Scripture, we as New Testament Christians would struggle to defend the high priesthood of Jesus Christ because Jesus is not from the tribe of Levi. He is from the tribe of Judah. So listen to this as we go forward. There are several things I want to talk to you about. First of all, I want to talk to you about the translation of his name and why that is important. Then we're going to look at his family tree and how that fits into the priesthood. I'm going to talk to you about how he is a type of Jesus Christ. We'll understand how that works. And then I want you to understand the issue of tithing before I give you the truth of what you need to do with the high priest, Jesus Christ. And it all begins in Luke chapter 24, verse 27. Highlight that if you want. It goes back to the story when Jesus is on the road to Emmaus and the people are amazed when this man shows up and Jesus begins to reveal the truth to him. And we must understand what Jesus said to those men when he said this, I'm speaking to you all that the prophets and those before me in the writings have spoken because they all point to who? To me. Typology is the understanding that throughout the Old Testament, there are many things that are taking place that are types pointing us to Jesus Christ. It was never meant that the Old Testament was going to be the fulfillment of what God had planned. From the beginning in Genesis, when we have the proto euangelizomai the first evangelistic thrust, we are told that one day there would come one who would crush the head of the serpent. 
There would be a Messiah. There would be one who would fulfill the roles necessary to not only bring us into the presence of God, but could represent us and reign over us until God comes back and sets up the kingdom again on earth. Now, to do all that is in this part chapter. Please bear this with me. Let's first and foremost look at the translation of his name. Why is that important? We're told in the very beginning, how does this represent the truth? And how is it a pointing to Jesus Christ? Well, Melchizedek, as you know, those of you Hebrew scholars, Melchian Sedek, it's the two words that are actually joined together to make one, which is the, the words for my king and righteousness. So this king of Salem, which is this king that goes out to meet Abraham and to bless him after he has just won the battle to retrieve Lot and pay the spoils back to Sodom, is the king of righteousness. But what is so amazing is he is also, his name is the what? Shalom. You've heard that word pronounced many times a little different. Is anyone what the Hebrew word for peace is shalom, which is also in the earlier text, the names of the city for Jeru, shalom. The king of the Salem is many times figured as the one in which God appoints in Jerusalem through the years of the Canaanite fallout and all of the idol worship, there is still one who reigns in Jerusalem appointed by God who is the picture and the point of one who will reign with righteousness and bring about peace in a way of justice. Melchizedek is a typology we'll look at in a minute, an understanding that Abraham now meets one, and catch this, that is all that Abraham is supposed to bring about within his seed, and yet at the same time is one who already has all those things that will come about from his seed. Melchizedek is the one that points us immediately before we ever see the outgrowth of the Abrahamic promises that God has already promised, as he did in Genesis, that there would come one who would be the king priest that would reign over the people and represent them to God. This morning, I want you to know that Jesus is your high priest. We'll understand how it is that even Melchizedek points to one day, as we are told in Abraham's seed, there would come one, one who would be king, one who would reign over his people, and one who would reign in righteousness, one who would also bring us into the presence of God. We'll see why he quotes from Psalm 110 here as we go through the passage, but we must understand the translation that he is the king of righteousness and peace. Why is that important, folks? There is no peace without true what? Righteousness. The point that Abraham is actually finding after the battle that the peace that belongs to the one of the Most High is because it's based on a king of righteousness, one who judges rightly, one who knows the truth, one who applies the truth, one who knows everything that has taken place and rightly divides the truth from error. Jesus is the one who knows every action, died for every sin. Sin of the past, sin of the present, and even those sins that you've yet to commit. And in righteousness, he was able in his life to come to the cross and provide the atoning sacrifice and represent us in the presence of God. Why? Because he has the peace. 
For those of us who have been judged righteously and our sins have been forgiven, we now have peace with who? God. We'll see that in the truth that comes about. But it all starts in the translation of his name. Melchizedek is not an allegorical story. He's not just a figure that pops in and out. We'll understand that. Why? Because we'll look at his family tree. What the actually says here in the text is that he is one of those descendants that he says had no father or mother. If you were to read this actually in the text, it says this. He was motherless, fatherless, genealogyless, beginningless, and endless. It's all the negatives put together that simply says this person is not matching what everybody else has. He does not fit the priesthood that everybody else is looking for. Because even when Jesus walked on the face of the earth, one of the struggles he had was ministering to people because they would look to him and simply say, I don't trust him because I know his father and mother. I know who he belongs to. Do you remember even one time when they were out seeking him, they said to him, hey, where is your father and mother? And do you remember what he looked out and he said to them, these are what? My family. Summarizing. Do you see, we want to connect people. Today, it's no different. If I told you that I was moving to Maryland, and first thing some people want to know is, well, who's your parents? Where did you grow up? Where are you from? Who are your grandparents? How are you connected to this? Folks, in this area, it's kind of hard because some of us are connected to a lot of people. In my family, it's kind of fun. I'll share this in a general sense, but when you have marriages within families, not the same tree line. i got to be careful how I say that. But I remember when in our family, Stacy's brother and his wife got married, and it wasn't until years later that his mom, who was divorced, and her dad, who was divorced, ended up meeting together and got married. And so they are totally separate marriages, but it's amazing how you get connected. So it's really funny when someone says, yes, that's my father and mother-in-law. And he says, yes, that's my mother and father-in-law. And you look at each other and go, well, that would make you brother and we don't know. We're not sure. And that's not true because there's no connection there. But folks, people just want to know. Here's why. We want to know that you're no different than we are. We want to know what makes you more important than us. We want to know what picks you up above us. Do we stand a chance among you? We immediately compare ourselves sometimes based on where others have come from and what they've accomplished. And all of a sudden we find out here, Melchizedek, for whatever reason, and obviously reasons, points to a Messiah and to a seed that would have no beginning and no end and no father and no mother. The psalmist clarifies that for us in Psalm 110, verse 4, and simply says, the only person that meets that, who would come from the seed of David, who would be a promise from the heirs and the promises of Abraham, who would be one who would be able to meet these criteria, who would have no father and no mother earthly, would have no beginning and no ending, would be who? Jesus Christ. Melchizedek, not only in the translation of his name, points us to a Messiah who will be a king of righteousness and peace, but he also reminds us that it will be one who has no beginning and no ending, one who didn't have an earthly father and mother, one who doesn't have an end to his reign. That becomes very important because when you begin to speak of the priesthood of Jesus Christ, what makes him different than the Levitical priests? 
the Levitical priests were those that had men who came to an end. I know your translation's different here as in with mine, but it simply tells us that when he had no father, mother, genealogy, listen to this, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, he resembles Jesus Christ. He's pointing us to the typology of Jesus Christ. In verse 8, in this one case, we are received, the tithes that were received by mortal men. Here's what makes the Melchizedek priesthood different. Jesus comes from a lineage of priesthood that has no beginning and no what? End. The Levitical priests were those that were born from the tribe of Levi, beginning with Aaron and on down from the high priest. And every one of them were men who were mortal. That word mortal actually is translated in the Greek, if you wish, as dying men. We translate it as mortal because mortal people, what? Die. But the actual word would simply render it that says, in the case of the tithes, they are received by dying men. What good are these people that you're tithing to and they're going to die? How long are they going to represent you before God? How long are they going to keep you clean? How long are you going to be able to be in righteousness and experience the peace of God? When it came to the Aaronic priesthood, the Levitical system, we could never stand in the presence of God and remain there. Our consciences could never be cleansed. But when it comes to Melchizedek priesthood, the priesthood that is of a separate order, that's why even Psalm says it this way, the one that comes after Melchizedek, that's very important in translation because he's not of Melchizedek. He's not a descendant of. He's not an offspring of. He comes after because he has nothing to do with the king of Salem. The king of Salem is an independent king, an actual person that God chose to reign upon Jerusalem, if you wish, to bring about peace in a righteous way. And yet he was a God-fearing king that came out to meet Abraham and to reaffirm to Abraham that God had promised him land, seed, and blessing of Genesis 12. And that somewhere along that seed, we find out in 2 Samuel the clarification that that seed would come from David and he would reign forever on the throne of righteousness. So Melchizedek, just in the translation of his name, points us to a Messiah who is righteous and brings about peace. If we look at his family tree, we realize that he has no beginning, no end. It would be no different than when we read John, the same term that is pulled about in the New Testament is when Jesus was said this way, rightfully translated, when it said, in the beginning was the word, and the word what? Was with God, and the word what? Was God. He was there in the beginning with God. There was no beginning to Jesus Christ. The word became flesh, it dwelt among us, John 1.14. We beheld his glory, that of the only begotten of the Father. It points to Jesus Christ. Folks, if you're thinking of typology, let me move on to this. Not only do we have the translation of his name, and not only do we have his family tree that helps us, but look at this Melchizedekan type. What do we mean by a type? It's not an allegory, it's not just a story, it's not a parable. It's typology. It's a person that points us to the Messiah. Or it's events that point us to something greater. 
We would look at the Old Testament and we could say in one sense that the Passover was a typology to the Lord's Supper. We could look at the death of the firstborn, the sacrifice that comes of Christ, the Lamb of God, typology. What we're saying when we speak of typology is not that the things aren't true, but they point us to something greater. When John the Baptist came, none of us would argue that John the Baptist pointed us to who? To Jesus Christ. None of us argue, as some of them did, that we ought to be following John the Baptist. Oh, as some would have argued, maybe we should follow Melchizedek. Maybe we should follow Aaron. But what we have here is this typology of understanding that what Melchizedek does is points us to a Messiah of righteousness and peace with no beginning and no end, which means he can reign forever and mediate forever, which means we can be in the presence of peace forever. No mortal man, no dying man, no dying system can interfere. Maybe this morning you're finding yourself thinking for a moment, maybe I should have placed my faith in Jesus rather than the offerings. In Jesus rather than my career. In Jesus rather than my belongings in my accomplishments. I bet you Abraham, when he stood there in the presence of the king of righteousness and peace and was blessed by him, wondered just what would happen to all his descendants when he was supposed to be the one whose descendant would sit upon the throne. It's amazing how those blessings go on because the tithes become a very important part, not because the sermon is about tithing. You're not tithing to me. You're not tithing to the church. And this isn't a sermon about tithing in today's church at all. This is a sermon to understand that the whole Levitical law set up an understanding that the Levitical priesthood was allowed to collect the tithes of the people for their brethren. And they would collect the tithes because the law said they could, which meant that the law which was not a fulfillment in and of itself, was pointing us to something greater, that we would tithe to the one that was greater. They would collect our tithes because one day it would be given to the one who is over all things. And in tithing, when Abraham tithes till Melchizedek, the whole understanding of this is that why is Abraham tithing if Abraham is the head of the Levitical priesthood? Because it's Abraham's descendants that become the Levites, that become the priesthood. So why is he tithing till Melchizedek if he is the head of the priesthood? And it's because Melchizedek represents a higher priesthood. None in the lineage of Abraham would ever be fully righteous. None in the lineage of Abraham would ever bring about true peace. And one day, even through the lineage of the Levites, There would never come a priest that would last forever to represent us before God. And so Melchizedek, in the inerrancy and inspiration of Scripture, 
in the wonderful writ of God in his communication to us. It says, life must at least understand who Melchizedek is. Because the priesthood that comes from Aaron will never be enough. The law that's established into the Levitical priesthood would never be enough. You're going to need something more. And so we talk about the truth. The truth. What is it that I need? Well, you can't go back to Melchizedek and you can't go back to Aaron. You could go back to a sacrificial system. You could go back to doing the things that they wanted to do in Hebrews. You could go back to offering up God more obedience, catch up on the time that you've lost. Raise your hand if you have been faithful your entire life to the Lord. Raise your hand if you've been at least 50% faithful to the Lord. There's got to be some of you at least cocky, right? 25%. Folks, have any of you been faithful at all to the Lord? Folks, we have a hard comparison there. I want you to think about where you are in your life. And sometimes it's like, well, I spent my years wandering away, and now I want to catch up. You know, I didn't tithe for several years, and now I want to catch that up. I didn't really serve a lot, and now I want to give all I can. Folks, that's not how it works. Righteousness doesn't come because you caught up. Righteousness didn't come because your works have now added up. If you don't understand that, that would go back to Zarathustra, the prophet, in the time of Cyrus, the king. When Zoroastrianism became part of the Western religions, give you a little college course real quick. When they used to have the weight of a sword that Zarathustra would put out there, and the gate to eternity would be a sword placed out there on whether or not your works weighed enough or didn't. Muhammad wouldn't take it as a sword. He would take it as a scale, and he would say, look, Allah's going to weigh out the good and the bad, and we're going to see just how righteous you are. Zarathustra said, if you have enough to cross and your works are righteous enough, you'll make it. If not, you'll fall. Christianity became the one that said, well, my righteousness will never make it anyway. And if I'm going to make it to heaven, I'm going to need some help. I'm going to need somebody from a Melchizedekan priesthood who has no beginning and no ending. Someone who is able to represent me forever. Someone who knows true righteousness. Someone who understands how to rightly judge and bring about the justice in my life. Someone who could bring peace between me and God. And maybe this morning you're realizing, Pastor, I want that peace. I want God to judge me righteously. I wasn't always a favorite disciple of the Lord. I wasn't always a faithful servant in accomplishing the tasks before me. I haven't always given my best. I haven't always been a living sacrifice. The truth of it is I've fallen pretty short on the measuring stick. I almost find myself more in place with Paul when he says that of all the sinners I am what? chief maybe that's you this morning when you realize you've placed your hopes in dying mankind dying mankind and this morning is the morning that you get a chance 
to focus on the resemblance of Melchizedek. The actual word, verse 8, if you wish to have that there, apotheneskantas, of these dying men, goes back to the point, if you wish, in verse 3 of the word the Bible translates resembling. A type is someone who is like, to be made like, or to resemble like. They are not them themselves. Melchizedek is not Christ. He is not Christ made known. He didn't just appear for a few seconds and then disappear. Melchizedek was a king, a righteous king, a king of peace. And in typology, he helped point Abraham to the truth, to the one-day fulfillment of the promise in which his own seed would become the Messiah, the one who could save us from our sins. And so this morning, I take you to Romans, as you know it as well as any he simply reminds us that it is through this seed of Abraham that therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we now have what? Peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, listen to this, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. This grace, the glory of God. Melchizedek points us to a time in the future in which the Messiah would come and truly bring about the peace that we need with the Father. Point us to the one who would be the answer to Levitical priesthood and its shortcomings. Ephesians. Simply reminds us in chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, let me read, read this. Remember that you at one time were separated from Christ, alienated from this commonwealth of Israel. It explains that. The strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 16, that he might reconcile us to God in one body through the cross, killing hostility. Oh, there's so much more about what it means to have a perfect priesthood. Next week, I want to take you on a journey a little bit farther, but this morning, I want to bring you to the truth and simply ask you, do you have peace with God? That peace only comes through the bloodshed of the one that Melchizedek pointed us to. If you have not asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, if you have not asked God to convict you, of the unrighteousness that's in your life. If you have not been asked to be given the help that you could repent, that you could turn from those and to admit with your mind that God is right, that we cannot make it on our own, that we must come through Jesus Christ. If you have not said, yes, he is the king, 
you have not bowed the knee and confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you're not saved. You're still looking for peace. You're still longing to be judged righteously. And it only comes in Jesus Christ. This morning, the writer of Hebrews, the preacher, tells us in the sermon, don't get caught up looking at Melchizedek. Melchizedek points us to Christ. Let's focus on Christ. And then we can have peace with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that we can understand through your scriptures the importance of our need for Jesus Christ. The Lord, it's not what we bring. It's not what we have accomplished. It's not what we have gathered together. It's not how we're seen in the eyes of others. It's whether or not we've been judged righteously. That we have been placed under the blood of Christ that we have been forgiven of our sins, we have been cleansed, that our conscience has been set free, that we can now faithfully serve with a priest that lasts forever. Father, thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit, that he would indwell us, lead, guide, and direct us, for giving us your Son who would become one of us, like us, the forerunner for us and now in your presence for us that he would mediate for us and so father please forgive us forgive forgive us of all of our sins and for all the times that we have failed bring us to peace with you and judge us righteously in jesus name i pray amen You'll receive the benediction. Paul simply said to me, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And God's children said, amen. Have a great Lord's Day.